You're listening to episode 405 of the UAV Digest. I'm Max Flight. And I'm David Vanderhoof. Hey, Max, long time no talk. I know. We've uh, had uh, our schedule interrupted by uh, some of uh, life's little pressures. And you and I got to meet each other face-to-face a week ago. It's hard to believe. That's right. We were down at the National Air and Space Museum, just next to uh, Dulles Airport in Northern Virginia, for their Innovations in Flight event that they hold each year. And that's, sometimes you and I see each other in between, but at least once a year, every 12 months of that event, we get to see each other. It's our family reunion. Yeah, it kind of is. Well, David, we have a guest this episode, and we're uh, very excited to be speaking with uh, Sasha Hardiger. He's the chief commercial officer at Dufour Aerospace. Now, Dufour Aerospace is a Swiss-based eVTOL startup. They're developing manned and unmanned platforms that feature a tilt-wing concept. Sasha is responsible for the commercial activities of Dufour Aerospace. Sasha, welcome to the UAV Digest. Thank you very much, uh, Max and David. Uh, thanks for having me here. Pleasure. Now, we understand that you're the uh, former ops director for Swiss Rega. That's the, the big helicopter EMS operator in Switzerland. But are you the father of drone operations for search and rescue there? You uh, sort of initiated a program there, I guess. Well, yeah, that's right. Uh, what was that? Six years ago, probably, I taken over the operation, helicopter operations for Swiss Air Rescue here in Switzerland. It's uh, the biggest uh, air rescue operator in Switzerland, operating 19 helicopters dedicated to air ambulance and air rescue missions. And we thought it might be a good idea to look more closely into drone activities, as this was obviously everyone was talking about the drones at that time. And I, I thought, well, that that's not only, let's not see this only as a danger to our helicopters let's see this also as an opportunity and let's get to know that stuff so we know what we're talking about what are the dangers involved and what are the opportunities for our patients and so we uh, start designing uh, possible use cases uh, put together a group of, of people that is was interested at the time in, in drone operations like the Swiss mountain rescue, like uh, ourselves, the air rescue guys from the police as well. And so we started a, a group there and that eventually led then into a full-fledged development program that led to a, a search and rescue drone. Well, it's more a search drone actually than a rescue drone, which has, has become operational a while ago. Sure. And you're not just strictly an office guy, right? You're an aviation enthusiast yourself. I've been in, in, in aviation since the mid-90s. Uh, um, I, I was actually allowed to fly an aircraft before I could legally drive a car here in Switzerland. So um, I started off with a single-engine piston um, and then into gliding, paragliding later on, RC stuff. Uh, still, I'm still flying single-engine piston stuff. I took up flying electrified planes, actually, with the... With the Velis, the first certified electric plane here in Europe, which is it's incredible, incredible experience. So um, yeah, I, I try to do a lot of, of stuff actually. I've never done it as as a professional. I've never been flying um, as a professional. I've, I've been heading helicopter operations from a more <laughs> 
from a more process oriented um, viewpoint, but I, I've never flown professionally in my life, but I've flown a lot of different aircrafts. So that's a great background. I, I always love it when there's someone involved in a startup that is coming at it kind of from the standpoint of some experience and not just, uh, you know, sort of a, a financial background or, a you know, a, a business only approach. So I think that's uh, that's very encouraging. But uh, let's talk a little bit about the EV tall market and what that looks like. Uh, maybe you can describe for us, Sasha, how is that different from the helicopter market? And if so, how? Well, where shall I start? Um, maybe we have to look at it a bit broader than that and talk about, I don't know, alternative propulsion aircraft, maybe, because there's it's not only electrification, of course, electrification is where it all starts, but then it's more to it. It's like the hybrid side of it. It's it's like the hydrogen side of it. It's, it's, it's all, all kind of stuff. What happened in the past is that many, many initiatives in the EV tall space have been focusing on, on the urban air mobility side of it. Um, and I think that was, yeah, clearly because of the the limitations that that still are around in terms of battery weight or in terms of weight in general which is crucial obvious in, in aviation so um we've seen a lot of activity going on in in that urban air mobility space and recently i think if if you if we talk about markets i see a bit of a shift towards regional air mobility and more let's say mid-range applications as well so I don't know where this comes from, um, but I think it's probably got to do with business cases and also the, the, the fact that there is so many initiatives around in the urban air mobility side of it. So more and more people are actually starting to look into uh, mid-range and, and somewhat longer range cases as well. Um, that's what I see a little bit in the markets. You asked about helicopter markets. Where does this compare to? So I think... If you look at helicopters, how they're being operated today, uh, that's very robust operations. It's back-to-back -back operations. You never know when the next mission is, especially in emergency medical services, but also in aerial work or, or law enforcement or whatever it is. Um, helicopters need to be ready anytime for an intervention, for a mission. And and I think that's that's the main gap probably between between the concepts that are around um, that talk about recharging and needing to stay on the ground for a while and having limited flight time abilities, limited range abilities. And then on the other hand, you have the, the more robust helicopter interventions that have been around for decades and that have been they're almost perfect today in, in terms of what they can do, not in terms of noise and, and pollution and, and environmental issues, but in terms of operational capabilities, a helicopter is really a beautiful thing, actually. So this is a little bit the comparison maybe that I see at this stage. I like this guy. <laughs> Sasha, just so you know, um, I'm an exhibit designer and the retail manager at the American Helicopter Museum, so I'm all for helicopters. Yeah, that's great. So, great especially helicopters that save lives. So, but we're we're here to talk about drones. So the uh, the Dufour aircraft, um, I guess that initially started with a um, an aerobatic plane. Is that correct? Yeah, right. We started the story with Aero One, what we call Aero One. Aero One is a, a fully electrified aerobatic plane, an aerobatic trainer. 
it still flies. Um, and two guys that founded, two of the three founders of Dufour Aerospace actually started this project because they're seasoned uh, aerobatic pilots. So that's where it started with electric flying uh, at Dufour. And then in 2017, Thomas uh, Famater, who's actually our CEO today, one of the co-founders, he's a seasoned rescue pilot for, for a very famous company, company here in Switzerland, Erzermatt. Uh, that is very known also in North America due to this uh, documentary, um, documentaries that are around. He actually came up with the idea: let's do something for for helicopter pilots. Let's let's bring electrified flying into the helicopter space because that's where he comes from, where he has a lot of experience as a rescue, still active rescue pilot today, and and that's where it started with the tilt wing. So that brought us actually to the. Aero 2 concept, which is a tilt wing concept uh, that combines the the uh, yeah the VTOL of the helicopter, vertical takeoff and landing capabilities of helicopters with the efficient cruise capabilities of fixed wing aircraft. That that's the whole idea behind a very efficient and very versatile concept. So um, that's a little bit the story how how that started first in 2015 and then in 2017 with Dufour Aerospace. So uh, currently, the work at the company is on the Aero 2 and the Aero 3, I guess. And the Aero 3 is intended to be manned, and the Aero 2 unmanned. Is that correct? That is correct. And and the reason, I mean, they're both of the same family. They both use that tilt-wing principle that we haven't invented, by the way. That's a, a principle that has been researched and documented and test flown uh, in, in the 50s and 60s, especially in Canada and also in the US. Uh, so so that's, that's not really new, but what we do is we bring uh, distributed electric propulsion to it. So we, we add these new components that are today uh, possible because battery technologies and motor motors improved a lot over the last decade, let's say. So that, that's what we're doing. Aero 2 is a small unmanned aircraft. Let's call it a drone. We, we like to speak of a, of, a, of a small aircraft, actually, as we try or as we build this really uh, in aviation-grade standard. And we also have these use cases in mind for the small aircraft. So uh, use cases that are potentially potentially involve high certification uh, requirements actually that's that's why we try to look at it as a as an aircraft and not so much as a like consumer grade drone uh, and i know that all these uh, these terms are are today somewhat difficult to handle and and and, and everything but we really want to make experiences with the smaller aircraft with the aero 2 uh, we know we have to learn a lot, so we will make mistakes. Uh, it will be easier to make mistakes with a smaller, less complicated aircraft and then learn a lot before we really then start building and, and producing the, the bigger aircraft, uh, the Aero 3, which will be a manned aircraft uh, designed for much, much larger applications, actually. So the Aero 2 has uh, what, four electric uh, motors on this tilt wing. The Aero 2 is pure cargo, cargo aircraft, a cargo and and sensor, remote sensing aircraft. Uh, the Aero 2 really is a, a somewhere in the region of 200 kgs, uh, 40 kgs of payload. And we want to be able to carry this payload of 40 kgs over a distance of 400 kilometers. That's, that's so let's say the high level specifications or the high level uh, requirements for Aero 2. 
Um, so this is this is our first um, aircraft, unmanned aircraft that will come into production. We think we're we're around two years before it will enter enter the markets. Actually, so we think in two years we're ready to to hit the markets with it. And what type of customer do you anticipate for the Aero Two? I think there's two, probably two generic, let's say, uh, more generic use cases for it. Uh, um, one will be the people that want to transport all kinds of critical cargo over uh, mid-range or long-range distances. Um, this can be, I don't know, medical supplies, maybe vaccinations, uh, as we've seen it in the pandemic. Uh, this can be uh, blood samples or, or blood preps. Um, it can also be cargo to remote places, like in in where where you have small villages, remote, a uh, um, couple of houses somewhere where it takes you hours to drive to. Maybe you you have a bad infrastructure or bad roads or whatever. So this is the the first group, let's say this this critical cargo transportation. Uh, group um, and then there's a second uh, generic application that that's remote sensing all all kind of sensors that you want to to fly um, be that for for mapping for 2D uh, 3D mappings high resolution imaging um, that you could do probably more or I'm sure about that you can do that more efficiently with with a drone that is able to take off vertically and then fly like a fixed wing aircraft and has a decent amount of payload. So with 40 kgs, you can carry a decent amount of sensors, high resolution sensing. And that's really the second group of, of customers that we're focusing on. And tell us a little bit about the propulsion system. Right. Coming from helicopter operations, basically all of us, or most of us, and from traditional aircraft design, also the design team comes from from more of the CS23, 25, and, and 27, 29, so more, more complex aircraft design. We think full electric will need some time before, before we're there. It will need uh, some more improvement in battery technology, in battery performance. So we are talking about a hybrid approach for both of our aircraft. So Aero 2 will be, I mean, the primary propulsion will be electric uh, for sure. Uh, that has a lot of advantages. But then we will have a, an internal combustion engine that will uh, recharge the batteries in flight. So the, the real idea is to, to take the, the performance, the takeoff performance of the batteries. That's where you need the peak power. That's where you need the, most of your power actually to take off to lift the aircraft off the ground and do the transition although we need less energy already for transitioning than for taking off as the tilt wing is really efficient um, so and then in flight once you're in cruise you only take i don't know a quarter of the energy of the takeoff so that's what you then do with the ic with the combustion engine that's a, in, in case of the arrow 2 that's a small um, conventional boxer engine that then uh, powers the cruise flight and uh, and recharges the batteries. So, again, when you reach a target, you should arrive at with fully recharged batteries. Also, operationally, uh, you need the energy to to be able to go around in case of a unforeseen event or or an emergency as well. Uh, also, from that perspective, I think that's that that's a good idea, and it is very efficient as you don't have to carry all the weight for your flight around in terms of batteries but you can you can use the more energy dense 
fuel to power your flight and it's not 100% green we 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 do know that at this stage but we think it's a it's a much better it's an improvement uh to today's solutions uh using a hybrid solution in 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 aviation and uh, sasha do you anticipate autonomous flight Yes, uh, I mean the the Arrow Two, uh, that small unmanned aircraft, obviously will will be somewhere in 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 the remote pilot category and some basic autonomous functions. But I mean, full autonomy is is still a bit a bit away. It's still a bit around the corner. I think many systems must be in place for full autonomy. So we see it more as a, a remote pilot aircraft at this stage, uh, with a view to. F- to to autonomy to eventual autonomy once all these surrounding systems are there um so let's call it a, a remotely piloted aircraft and aero 3 the manned version uh there we see initially a pilot on board with uh, full control of whatever he's do whatever needs to be done because in manned aviation and that's a little bit our take at do for aerospace i know there's people that see that differently, but we think it will take, uh, yeah, some more years at least to, until we start really seeing the first, let's say, autonomous or remotely piloted solutions in manned aviation. So we are rather conventional, rather conservative from that point of view and start with fully piloted uh, version. Um, also very conventionally flown, we think, it needs to be appealing for today's operators and for today's pilots. It needs to be a smooth transition into a new world. We shouldn't make the step too high. Uh, so let's start with the new aircraft and and not start with full new control systems or control schemes or full full autonomy. So we, uh, I don't know if you understand what I want to say. We, we shouldn't make the steps too high. Not not too many revolutions in one step, maybe. Let's start with one thing and then do the next one. I think that's a good strategy because uh, if if the change is too great, uh, you'll get some resistance. It'll just be natural for people to resist something that's so so radically different. So So kind of taking steps in that direction makes a lot of sense. You're right about that. That's why we also try to start in already known... Um, applications. So, Aero Three, our manned aircraft, is is really designed to have a it has a spacious cabin, like you could compare it to a Bell four two nine or an H one four five of Airbus today. So, it's it's really also capable to transport patients, inter-hospital uh, transports of patients, and we think a there is already a market for this it's it's been done today there is people that need that kind of services it is socially accepted we can do it with a, an an electrified aircraft uh, we can replace helicopters in in that space so we we should bring noise levels down and everything and we we think it's better to start with existing uh, business cases existing operational procedures existing infrastructure there is uh, heliports on hospitals already around today they don't need to be built new, um, so so why not start where there is evident cases that you can already serve today, and then later grow into into new applications like like air taxi or, or regional air mobility or whatever it is. Then, Sasha, to go back to um, what we were talking about propulsion, do you see any hot and high challenges with the propulsion system that you're flying at altitude? Is that going to be any? More difficult for an evertol versus whereas 
we're talking about all of this inner urban traffic where you're closer to sea level? Um, yes and no. Um, I think the propulsion system should or will be rather efficient even even in, in, in pretty high or hot temperatures, hot and high conditions, let's say, as we have in Switzerland. Um, and I, where I see the limitations, of course, is when we talk about hovering out of ground effect in uh, whatever, in, in altitudes above 3,000 meters, uh, 10,000, 12,000 feet, somewhere there in, 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 in countries like Switzerland. And that's not really what Aero 3 is meant to do. Uh, it will not, and, and I think we can clearly say that at this stage, it's not meant to replace all helicopter activity or all helicopters. A helicopter is a, and we've talked about that before, it's a really beautiful thing if you if you have aerial work to do, if you have a hoist rescue in, in hot and high conditions, or if you need to hover for a long time where you really need to have the power to be able to hover. So, so these are the conditions where obviously the design of a helicopter with that rotating disc on top uh, is is that that's what it's meant for. So so you you're probably not going to replace this basic really basic function of a helicopter so so soon. Uh, whereas in cruise flight, I don't see these limitations. Um, in a standard cruise flight, we we will be able to to master the altitudes we need here. And mind you. An aircraft of a, of an Aero three uh, category does not have a pressurized cabin, for example. So there is really no use to fly in in, in five six thousand meters of altitude, or no possibility as you don't have a pressurized cabin. So that's a natural limit anyway for for this kind of applications. Uh, Sasha, you'll you'll probably agree that uh, no aircraft development program is without challenges or difficulties along the way. What kind of challenges have have you seen so far? Oh, there's a lot of them. <laughs> I, I, I certainly agree. Uh, well, developing aircraft is is obviously not easy. That that's one. Yeah, that's the main reason actually why we base on a well documented and researched approach already. So, to give you one example, maybe the CL84 of Canada, Canada Air has been flown there's been three flying prototypes around for for years they they've made a lot of experiences and we can draw on this so still it, it's not easy um there will be challenges or there are challenges one of them the obvious one is is the financing of such an endeavor uh we are a a startup we've been around for for five years now um but as a startup you are constantly looking for money uh, to um, to finance your development projects and of course you're constantly under a certain pressure to reach to reach your milestones uh, then it's it's also uh, very challenging to find the right people that have the experience in developing and certifying aircraft and then a, a, a third and obvious also obvious, possible um, difficulty is the certification process where we are already or only now starting to really yeah discover fully discover what the take of the authorities towards these new aircraft will be and uh, i think also from that side there's a couple of things that need to be clarified in the next in, in the coming years so this will take money this will take time and this will take experienced people and and that's probably the 
the, the, the most important, yeah, the biggest challenges that we face so far. Now, I'll assume that you uh, anticipate a worldwide market for these aircraft. And in terms of certification, is that difficult? Or how does that direct uh, you in terms of becoming certified across the globe? Do you find that some markets or some countries, some regions have more complex certification requirements? So maybe those are secondary and the other ones become kind of the primary focus? Or, you know, how, how do you handle certification if you're looking globally? Yes. Um, I mean, in terms of markets, maybe first, uh, it, it's clear that uh, in what we're doing, the, the North American and European, and then uh, some of the Asian markets are probably the most interesting. Uh, and that's where where most of the helicopters today are being used. I mean, flying helicopters in in numbers is is very much a, a North American and European uh, activity, and some other countries. But but if you really look at, at it from a, from a high level perspective, it's done in in North America and in Europe. We are a European company. We're based in Switzerland. So our regulator here for these kind of certifications is EASA. So it's the European aviation authorities that will uh, that we will address first, most probably. I mean, it's still something we look into, but it, it's kind of a natural to do that first, uh, at least with Aero 3, so with the manned version. With the unmanned version, maybe it's also depends on where your first customers will be, what take on certification you will will, will have. So uh, this may be another interesting question at some stage. But um, so we are we're anticipating that we will mainly talk to EASA about the certification, which probably makes sense as there is a lot of or there's a couple of initiatives that are uh, already advancing pretty fast here in Europe. And they uh, there is already uh, material around when, when it comes to certification. And we think if you can certify it here in Europe, you should be able to then certify it basically everywhere uh, in the world as, as the requirements are probably highest here in Europe, I'd say. All right. And uh, tell us, I think you touched on it earlier, but tell us again where you stand in terms of the, uh, the program milestones. Well, the Arrow 2, we are flying the third generation prototype, so the small unmanned aircraft. Uh, we, we've done the transitions. Uh, we've done the transitions with sufficiently heavy aircraft to uh, get the confidence or the, the, the yeah, to, we, we know that we can do that. We can master transitions. Um, so we are now starting to integrate the, uh, the hybrid uh, version into the aircraft for the next generation prototype which will then be similar to an entry into service version. Not all components uh, fully certifiable yet. We will need to exchange some of them then. Um, that's work that we're starting today. So we think the, the smaller aircraft will be ready for the market in, in roughly two years from here, from production ready. But the bigger one, it's a different story. That's, of course, somewhat uh, further down the road. We we are in, in the design of it uh, and here, we, we need to say clearly that we're designing a, a first prototype now, which is not nice and and super nice looking. It's it's a 
a prototype also again to prove the flight envelope uh, so it will be not not shiny not nice looking um this is somewhat open it, it also has to do with the finances uh, on on how we manage to uh, to support these activities on the timeline. We, we're very confident that it will be feasible, but uh, we have to look into that. But there, obviously, for, for a um, for a manned aircraft, we're looking at somewhat uh, like, like at least five years to bring it to certification. And have you had some interest uh, to this point from potential future customers? This is a really interesting uh, thing. Um, yes, there, there's a lot of interest. And of course, we, we know to differentiate between interest and MOUs and LOIs, and then it's something different than firm orders and everything. But what is really encouraging is that we see the interest in the aviation scene that is traditionally operating helicopters and also in the regional markets. And... Um, We've been talking a lot to to operators that actually know the today's business very well, and and they are they're really really interested in what we're doing, and that's also where we see our first potential launch customers for both aircraft for for the Aero two and for the Aero three. By the way, as also the Aero two is interesting for already existing operators uh, that want to solve problems that they face today with the, or want to satisfy the demands of their customers actually in a, in a more efficient way than they are able to do it today. So uh, yeah, we, we have a lot of momentum uh, on, on, on the customer side and I'm sure we will, we will be able to present news of that in the coming month. Exciting, exciting. I've never worked for a startup. I've mostly been a legacy corporate kind of a guy. Um, so I, I've never been on the inside of a startup, but uh, uh, Sasha, are the employees, I mean, do they, do you all feel like you're, uh, you know, onto something new and exciting and, and, and creative? Is that the mood inside the company? Uh, well, in our company, it is. Uh, people are very highly motivated to, to do what, what the, you don't have to tell. I mean, if, if you, if you need somebody that tells you what you have to do, it's not a right environment in a, in a small startup company like we are. Then again, we're not a typical tech uh, startup, or we're not a typical university startup or spin-off. So we have many, we have a lot of experienced staff actually uh, in in our rows. Um, we're around 45 people at this stage, uh, so we still need to grow a lot in the future, but. Uh, already now we we have some some very experienced stuff around. They they uh, work together very closely with the youngsters and and our founders. They're from the industry. It's not it's not the typical let's say twenty five thirty year old graduates. It's uh, that have brilliant ideas. Uh, I mean they have brilliant ideas as well, but they are much more experienced. So maybe we're not a really typical startup. I don't know, but it's a lot of fun to work there and and it's a lot of good good ideas around and and a lot of great people to work with that makes it exciting uh, that makes it easy to go into work in in the morning david i know you get excited about going into work in the morning but uh, this seems like a really exciting kind of a company as well i like the whole idea of the tilt wing it's it's a very it's a very interesting solution um you know it, it's a little less complicated than a tilt rotor tilting the engines back and forth versus tilting the wing um and like Sasha said, it's it is 
a proven technology. Um, the CL-124, I mean, the C-24-124, which was Lingtem Covoit and Canadair both had successful tilt-wing aircraft. So it's been around for a while. Sasha, it, are you, for the number three aircraft, are you considering the weight of medical equipment Extra, um, I mean, a, med- a medevac helicopter has substantial weight because you're guaranteed, besides a pilot or a co-pilot, you got flight crew as well as the the patient. So are all those factors adding to your gross weight on your, on your prototype? Yes, they are. Uh, I mean, that's part of the design already now. We, we know that we need to be able to carry that extra weight of the... Uh, paramedic or two paramedics, uh, depending on the system here in Europe, it's normally a flight physician and the paramedic. You need to carry the patient and you need to carry the EMS equipment, the emergency medical equipment, which is, if it's a very light uh, equipment, it's 150 kgs. If it's more dedicated, uh, heavier equipment, it's more like 250 kgs extra weight that you carry. So we need to take that into account, and we do. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a seven it's it's an eight seat uh, aircraft, so seven passengers plus pilot, and you can exchange uh, some passengers for the extra weight of the emergency medical equipment that you're carrying. So we we are really designing the aircraft for that kind of payload. And David, uh, really appreciate you uh, bringing up the tilt wing. Um, I, I never mind to explain the difference between a tilt wing and a tilt rotor, but what makes life for us sometimes hard uh, for Dufour Aerospace is that people compare us to a uh, Leonardo 609 or to, to an Osprey, like these tilt rotor concepts that are around and, and, and we... Uh, yeah, we are a tilt wing company, and uh, there is a lot of difference between the two concepts. And uh, really appreciate that you, uh, yeah, you recognize this. Yeah, I always think of uh, the maintenance costs when when looking at these things. And electric motors tend to have a lower maintenance cost, obviously, than internal combustion engines uh, in do. How about the maintenance of a tilt wing? Is that less? Uh, expensive to maintain or than a than a tilt rotor is there an advantage from the maintenance standpoint yes uh, the the obvious one is that you you don't have a i mean let's let's assume they have both the same propulsion uh, in it um then the tilt wing has the advantage you have propellers and not rotors so uh, a rotor is a mechanically very um well sophisticated beautiful thing but it's 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 very high maintenance like rotor heads and and all that stuff uh, and you have two of them in a, in an osprey or in 609 and you have even more of them in in other concepts so that's that's one thing that is easier on a tilt wing where you basically work with propellers uh, because it, it works differently. Your your control in hover is uh, is guaranteed by your control surfaces of the wing, because the wing is already energized as soon as you start uh, as the propellers start turning. You, your wing is functional even on the ground, so you have your control on the ground already, without having to use the any rotors. So you you can go with propellers, and that makes it easier or makes it makes it less let's say complicated and therefore less uh less expensive in 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 operating costs all right it's brilliant uh i'm 
really excited about these. I hope uh, that uh, you don't antici- or you don't uh, run across any unexpected uh, roadblocks along the way. Probably the certification is is maybe the uh, in some ways the most difficult part of the whole process. But um, there are challenges as, as we discussed everywhere throughout that process. So if people want to learn more about Dufour, probably the best place to go is, is the website. Yes, sure. Uh, there's Dufour.aero. Uh, so Dufour is, is kind of French, so it's a French family name. So it's D-U-F-O-U-R, Dufour.aero. There you find all kind of information. There's also a YouTube channel with uh, shows uh, some videos of the transitions, and, and we try to keep that as updated as possible. And of course, we're also in the uh, social media space. Uh, we we invest not not a lot of money in marketing at this stage, so that's that's more more basic. But uh, I think uh, people that are from the space and interested in finding out more about us will will find some decent amount of information. Very good. And we'll have all those links in the show notes, of course. David, what do you think? Sounds exciting. I like it. I like unorthodox ways of getting aircraft off the ground, either helicopters or tilt rotors or tilt wings. So, And, of course, it's the best space ever because it's medical evacuation. So that's, that's I mean, this is a really neat program. So I wish them success because it will do nothing but bring good good to the world all right well sasha thank you so much for joining us it was a real pleasure talking to you and thanks for having me this is, uh, was a great opportunity thank you very much for your time and your questions all right you can find us at the uavdigest.com thanks for listening we really appreciate it uh, if you like to go uh, straight to the show notes for this episode, you can find that at the uavdigest.com slash 405 that's the episode number David, where else can folks find us? Uh, of course, you can join our Slack listener team, and you can do that by sending us an email to feedback at the uavdigest.com. And, of course, if you can find Max and I on LinkedIn, um, you can find us on our various internet, you know, Facebook, Twitter, etc. And then you can find us on the Airplane Geeks, which appears every Wednesday morning into your ears. So with that, I'm going to say this is David in Delaware. And this is Max. Where am I? In Connecticut. Hartford. I know, in Hartford. I never know where I'm going to be. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 